Good evening, everyone, and welcome to our Urgent Protect Our Province COVID-19 briefing for Alberta on Tuesday, December 21st, 2021. This unplanned broadcast is live streaming from the traditional and ancestral territory of many peoples. We are grateful to live and work in Alberta, a province on the traditional territory of 48 different First Nations and the unceded homeland of the Métis Nation. Today's conversation is being shared in ASL. This conversation for the public is also being shared live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Since we began these briefings, we have promised Albertans a regular panel of doctors and experts who endeavor to bring timely, accurate updates on the COVID-19 crisis in Alberta. And that is why we are here today. Today's briefing will aim to be 30 minutes in length to assist Albertans in making safe and informed decisions for themselves and their families this holiday season. Thank you everyone for joining us today for this urgent broadcast. I'll be honest folks, I'm having a particularly rough day, particularly rough few days, as I suspect most of us are. I'm scared. Actually, I'm a little closer to terrified and I'm sad. I'm so very sad. I'm not sure how our fragile systems will survive this time around, but nonetheless, here we are again. We are here because if one of our neighbors learns something new, an infection will be prevented. If one of our neighbors thinks twice about their holiday choices, more infections will be prevented. And if ourselves or one of our neighbors gains a deeper understanding of how to stay safe, another infection will be prevented, and ideally, some more lives will be saved. If we continue to hold our elected officials accountable, more Albertans will avoid the complications that come from an overwhelmed system, and more Albertans will survive. I'm not saying any of my sadness or the roughness or the feelings that I know so many of us have out loud to stoke a fire of fear. I'm saying them again to encourage safe action. The ripple effect of all of our choices impacts all of us so much deeper than the daily case counts. Choices made by us, and even more critically, choices made by our elected representatives really will impact how bleak these next few months are going to be. Today, I am joined by an excellent panel of experts from the POP AB team, and I would like to invite them into the conversation right now as we get going. I am... So pleased to have such a fantastic group with me as we look at what is happening, what happened today, and what could possibly happen tomorrow. All of us are capable of reading the numbers. We know that there were 798 confirmed cases in the last 24 hours with another 20 probable cases in the last 24 hours. Sometimes I think they just don't like to release a number that is over another 100. More concerning maybe is the percentage positivity of 11.5 with the Calgary zone hitting its all-time highest since the pandemic began at 16.64. So since I have Dr. Bakshi, Dr. Hardcastle, Danielle Lavrie, Dr. LaFrance, and Dr. Gasparovich with me, I would like to take this next 20 minutes to unpack all of their areas of expertise. So maybe starting with you, Dr. Gasparovich, with where we are today, 
where does it look like we're going to go tomorrow? Dr. Gasparovich, you are very muted, so I'm going to unmute you and ask you to start again. Where do where do we look like we might be tomorrow? So this week we can we can hit more than thousand cases, if not two thousand daily cases. Uh, if I could get my slides presented, thank you very much. So these yellow lines are the project projections I did uh, last week, and as we see my assumptions were too optimistic. Now the reality, the black dots, that is like our daily new cases are actually happening faster or earlier than, than in this predict projection. And in this projection, uh, we would hit 5,000 daily new cases sometime uh, in the first week of January. But if we are on the trajectory we are now, it will happen earlier, probably uh, next week. Um, yeah, if we if we don't change what we are doing, it will be it will be almost vertical up, because the omicron is so fast. It's it's doubling every two three days, so our value is three to four times uh, higher than deltas. Uh, and what does it mean to hospitals? Could I have another slide? Uh, so that's that's the projection <coughs> made by Professor Dean Carlin from BC COVID nineteen modeling group. Uh, yeah, so it's basically consistent with 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 my model and and what he did additionally to this, he calculated into the hospital admissions and ICUs using a very very optimistic assumption that uh, that Omicron would be seventy percent less severe, which we don't know. We don't know how much if it's the same severity of or lower severity of or higher. And actually, the data from UK suggest that it's the same. So, but anyway, even if it would be much, much, much milder, still this projection predicts that we hit, that the ICUs will be overwhelmed in first week of January. And not only overwhelmed, they, the cases will still rise. So it's not anymore the question if the health system will be overwhelmed, but, but by how much. So now basically we need to do everything possible to limit our contacts as much as possible so that, so, so that the virus doesn't have opportunity to spread from person to jump from person to person. Thank you. I'm now going to bring Dr. Hardcastle into the conversation to pick up on where Dr. Gasparovic just left off. Was anything that was put into the Chief Medical Officers of Health order today seem particularly significant to you from a legal perspective in terms of preventing what Dr. Gasparovic just mentioned? I think what we saw today was fairly minimal action. We saw the government focus on very, very large gatherings of, of 500 or more people and, and some capacity limits and food and beverage limits there. But I think there is still considerable risk, of course, in, in large gatherings that don't hit that 500 person mark. Um, and with, with the smaller gatherings, what we saw was a return to personal responsibility and, and emphasizing people to, to minimize their contacts. Apart from the, the legal the legal order itself, um, a couple, I just wanted to say a couple words on, on messaging. I think that one of the, the problems that we keep running into is that regardless of what is in the public health orders, the government's problematic messaging throughout has tended to under undermine those public health orders. 
So for example, we'll hear the government say, well, why have stricter rules if people don't follow them anyway? And of course, some segment of people is going to follow those rules and others may not follow those rules to the letter, but will still limit their, their gatherings. Um, and, and so I think that the government's messaging is going to be key. Um, during the pandemic, we've also so often the premier come out with stronger messaging at the press conference, but then water it down over the next few days, for example, um, in doing Facebook lives or, or other things like that. Um, and I think they need to, to stay strong on that on that messaging so that people do understand that that this is that this is indeed serious and people do take the actions that they need to to, to protect their families and themselves. Thank you so very much, Dr. Hardcastle. I'm going to bring on three fantastic clinicians, all from different disciplines. Um, maybe since I'm going to have all three of you up at this moment to begin with, it would be great to remind everyone of your area of expertise, because a couple of you have not been with us in a bit. Um, sure, I can start. So I'm uh, Dr. Nita Bakshi. I'm an internal medicine physician, and I've worked a lot on the COVID unit in the last couple of years and uh, helped with designing the COVID unit at the Royal Alexandra Hospital. I'm Dr. Renee LaFrance. I'm a psychiatry. Uh, and I'm Danielle Larrabee. I'm a registered nurse, uh, and I'm first vice president with United Nurses of Alberta. And so we represent over 30,000 uh, registered nurses, registered psychiatric nurses, and other frontline healthcare workers who've been sharing some very devastating stories with us as to what's happening in the front lines. And probably one of the hardest questions that I'm going to have to ask today one, after hearing the recap of the press conference, two, after seeing what's been happening globally and knowing um, how accurate Dr. Gasparovich is with her modeling. How are you, how, what, where, when, why? What, I guess, do we do over the next few weeks to try to limit what is feeling like a tragically inevitable outcome um, combined with what are you hearing from your colleagues? How are they all feeling? I know that the system is in trouble and I don't know how we get through this. So maybe starting with you, Dr. Bakshi, on where the system is and yeah. Uh, thanks, Michelle. So I think um, it's not a surprise to anybody that's listening to this that knows that our healthcare system has been in trouble um, for, for over a year. Uh, and certainly this last fourth wave, which I would argue that we're not completely out of yet, um, is really creating a, a ripple effect on everything from healthcare within, in hospital and, and out of hospital. And we are teetering on a very, very tight rope right now where we haven't really been able to come back to full surgical capacity. We still are sitting at 60 to 70% surgical capacity throughout the system. We still have not been able to unredeploy some of our nurses from the ICU back to their home units. We're still dealing with staffing shortages throughout the hospital, and we're just starting to see uh, some reduction in COVID numbers throughout the province. You know, we know that the overall hospital numbers have gone down, but what we don't know and what we don't see when we see those daily statistics the number of COVID recovered patients that are still in hospital beds. So the impact of this fourth wave, we haven't begun to even deal with the, the um, 
catch up from that. And we are rapidly going into this next wave, which we can call the fifth wave, we can call 4.5, whatever we call it, it's a disaster. Um, and we are uh, certainly starting to prepare behind the scenes. Every hospital, every division, every department is doing the necessary that they need to do to make sure that over the next few weeks, we have the staff, we have the capacity to be able to um, help manage these patients. But to be very, very blunt, uh, we we don't have the capacity, whether it's physically, emotionally, mentally, we don't have the capacity, we don't have the physicians, the nurses to be able to manage what the predictions show. Um, and so I'm, I'm quite worried and to echo what you said, Michelle, I'm sad. I've actually coined a new term, sangry, sad and angry, because I don't know how to feel anymore. Um, and the inevitable doesn't need to be inevitable. And I think that's what's the most frustrating part of this 21 months later. And on that sangry, sangry, I'm, yep, that's going to be um, a new part of my lexicon. Um, Dr. LaFrance, what are your, I guess I want to say words of wisdom, but at the same time, everything is so challenged that I, I cannot even begin to imagine the deep pain that you and your colleagues are feeling as you're trying to help folks navigate the mental health ramifications of this? Well, I think it's taking its toll um, in a few different ways. And really what we're seeing is the chronicity of this pandemic and the uncertainty that we saw, you know, from leadership today uh, of the province, because we don't know how this wave is going to go. Um, and then you combine that with it being Christmas time. Um, and there's a profound sense of loss and helplessness and hopelessness and a feeling that we don't have um, the kind of control that we would want over our circumstances, right? And so it's, it's very demoralizing. It's demoralizing for everybody. Um, we're all in this at the same time, whether we're on, you know, the side as a physician or we're, we're, you know, general public, we're, we're all experiencing this personally. Um, some of us professionally, as we, we move now to mobilize again, um, knowing that we didn't really get a whole big break from the last wave and we're heading right back into this and we don't know how this one is going to go down. And so, um, you know, Viktor Frankl had coined a, a term called tragic optimism, and that's finding meaning in suffering, finding meaning in, in difficult um, circumstances. And it's really about still trying to find faith, love, um, hope in a situation that, again, you know, even though we kind of knew it was going to happen, it's still tragic you know, that it is happening and, and there's loss there and accepting that loss and feeling that loss and, and recognizing that it's, we're all feeling it and, it and it's normal to be feeling it. And that one day when they look back on this pandemic, it's going to be a big thing in the history books. It's going to be something that, um, you know, is talked about for a long time in history. It, this is not a small thing we're all going through. And so to, to recognize and acknowledge that as we, again, move through this in real time and learn in real time um, about what it is that we need to do and how we need to, to take care of ourselves. I said um, at the beginning of our previous broadcast, or maybe it was at the end, I can't even remember anymore, um, that you all, this community, the 
folks at home, the folks online who have engaged with us um, since we started um, being public towards the end of the summer are really what bring me that hope. Um, and I hope, I hope that some of that hope will be able to fill a few folks today um, because I know that I, yeah, I'm definitely in a struggle with it, Spot. Um, Danielle, they, there's no denying that patient care and the love of nurses is really the heart of our healthcare system. Um, the, you, you and your colleagues are everything to everyone who is requiring care. How, how, how are you all holding up and how can we help? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there's an incredibly profound frustration uh, with the fact that so many people want to believe that we can live life as if business as usual. And a pandemic is not business as usual. And Rena just did a great job talking about that, that this will be in the history books. This is major. I mean, it'd be like living through the world war, um, one of the world wars in, in Europe and pretending it wasn't happening around you. You can't do that. And we need to have action in this and, and we need people uh, to to take it seriously. And there's a profound sense of desperation that that pervades all of us, even the people who are on this today, um, as calm as we might, you know, come across, um, you know, each wave, there's been an increasing, you know, sense of, of this desperation and, and helplessness as we continue to see um, a, a lack of the action that we need uh, to really protect um the people that we care for um, from, from the impacts of this. We don't want people to be sick. We don't want them to be in hospital. Um, and, and when we see such late action, when we know that COVID spreads exponentially, and this is the fifth wave, we should know better by now. You know, we have absolutely zero reason to believe anything other than um, that Gosha's predictions will uh, once again um, come true. And what we see coming with that uh, is absolutely catastrophic in terms of, of the impact uh, on healthcare. Um, I heard um, Dr. Henshaw refer to it as a critical threat um, when she talked about it today. Uh, and it really, really uh, is. I mean, if if this goes ahead, um, the the kind of workload that our frontline healthcare workers, um, uh, including nurses, have have been forced to deal with, um, while you know being forced to to do mandatory overtime, um, there many of them are broken. And and I don't I I don't think that's too strong a word to use. And and many of the others are are breaking. Um, there's, it's been so incredibly difficult. And I cannot stress enough that a bed is just a bed if there's not the team uh, around it in order to provide that high quality care. Uh, and that team is so tired and feeling so helpless and hopeless the way uh, Dr. LaFrance talked about that I'm very, very concerned um, that we're in deep, deep trouble uh, as we this, see the tsunami coming and, um, and the impact just really can't be understated. 
I'm going to bring our other two panelists back up into our conversation. We spent the entirety of our last episode talking about preparing for the Omicron wave and talking about um, safe safer choices, safe steps, things that Albertans could do to keep themselves, their families, and the rest of the larger community safe. Um, so please go back on the YouTube channel if you would like some more of that information. Those things haven't changed. Um, like Danielle just said, this is the fifth time. We are true making new discoveries all the time, but in terms of what works to prevent transmission and slow the spread, we know the things that save lives. I'm going to um, ask Adam Toy from Global News to join us in our conversation. I believe that Adam has a question. Hi, Adam. Yeah, hi, thanks so much for uh, having uh, this conversation this afternoon. Really appreciate being able to ask you some questions. Uh, first question, open to anybody uh, in regards to the opening of the booster program to all uh, adult Albertans who have had uh, five months since their second dose, what kind of an effect will that have uh, given where we are at in this, uh, this escalating wave uh, of this pandemic? So that can really slow down the spread uh, but it won't so if everybody now would get their boosters so the third doses who can uh, it it will affect it will it will definitely make the growth less fast but the thing is that even if now everybody would take the third shot it will take at least like one week two weeks before the immunity will properly kick in so and we are expecting like super many cases next week. Um, so boosters are for something that happens after next week. Um, and to do, to prevent the tragedy next week, we have to do other things too. Uh, thanks. Um, another question, if, if I may, um, the, uh, um, our chief medical officer of health uh, said today that well-fitted multi-layered cloth masks that have a layer for filtration uh, can help prevent the spread of COVID-19 and especially this Omicron variant. Have you seen, uh, she also recommended medical masks uh, and, and named the N95 masks as well. Uh, wondering if, if, uh, if you can corroborate that or if you have um, mask uh, advice for Albertans in terms of how to protect themselves via masking. I don't know who wants to take that one other than to say that, uh, you know, the science is really clear on this one, that COVID is airborne. Uh, I was incredibly happy to hear uh, reference to the fact that it's airborne by the Medical Officer of Health uh, today. And there needs to be more of that across the spectrum to help people understand what that means. And uh, certainly Dr. Tam has made it incredibly clear that we need to move away from cloth masks. Um, I. I think the reality is, is not everybody right now has access to N95s. They're hard to find. 
they can be expensive. Um, so that means it's a privilege to have access to them, but that doesn't mean that they're not the best and that's not what we should be aiming for. So I think many of us are calling um, on all level of governments to come together and figure out how to get N95s in the hands of Albertans so that uh, they can be protected. And, and that would be our goal is to have everybody using those. But uh, absolutely, uh, if you really don't have access to anything else, um, then that's what you go for. But you really want to uh, ideally have um, uh, an N95 um, or at the very least medical grade. So yeah, I would, oh, sorry. Um, so, so just a, a note, not on the, the science of masks, but the, the policy. I think that one of the things that we've seen is some reluctance on the part of governments and public health officials to talk about N95s or to talk about airborne transmission. And I think at times this reflects the, the fact that it's... Um, it's, it could be more expensive to, to address those problems in terms of ventilation and where would this leave, for example, AHS and its staff. But, but the fact that something leads to difficult policy choices or, or budgetary choices is not an excuse to not be upfront with the public around the science. If, if there is science around masks, if there is science around airborne transmission, which, which of course there is, then, then the government and, and public health officials need to be upfront about that. And, and, and then the difficult choices will, will have to flow from that. And, and they'll have to address the equity issues. They'll have to address the, the implications of that. But you can't hide the science because you, you, you don't have the policy to operation. Um, an, another question uh, that I had is, uh, in a very short period of time, I believe it was eight days, we saw cases go from uh, 30 to 1,030. Does that, uh, is that, uh, uh, does that, does that indicate, I know that, that there aren't any, or I don't believe that there are any uh, epidemiologists uh, on the call here, but does that seem to indicate that we have seen super spreader event or events? in the province, or is this just the spread that we can expect with, expect with Omicron? Adam, just for our folks at home, um, your question is specifically referencing the number of Omicron variants that have been identified in the province over the last eight days? Uh, in, in a period of eight days, a very recent period of eight days. Yes, correct. Thank you. Dr. Gasparovic? So the same type of rise of, uh, of cases, of Omicron cases is observed in almost all the jurisdictions. We could have super spreading events uh, that, well, I don't know about how much, because for this you need to contact tracing. Uh, but, but yeah, even without big super spreading events, it's, that's how, how, how it's happening. And super spreading events also don't need to be huge it doesn't need to be 1000 person people infected but it's enough that you have 15 people in restaurant getting it from one person it's also sort of a super spreading event just happening um or people who entered the the store after the person who was infective uh was there so yeah that that's what unfortunately that's what that that's what the Omicron does. It's really it's exponential growth of very short doubling time, two to three days. So we can see this vertical growth very, very soon. 
That's Thank all the questions you. I have. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Adam, for coming on to ask the questions. Before we say goodbye today, as we keep these urgent briefings short and to the point, um, I'm hoping that this will be our last broadcast until 2022. We plan on returning January 5th, but we weren't planning on popping up today, and here we are. Um, in addition to happy holidays and stay safe, Alberta, what would all of you like to add to everybody watching live right now and everybody who will watch in a recap over the next few days, maybe starting with Dr. Bakshi and then just going around? Um, I'd like to just actually thank everybody that's tuning in and, and thank the vast majority of Albertans who are continuing to do the same thing that they've been doing since March 2020. I think we tend to focus on the people that are not vaccinated or the people that are choosing not to follow the rules and regulations, but I know that there's many that are, and and I'm one of those people. And so I, I get how incredibly demoralizing and frustrating this time is. We all wanted to have Christmas again this year. We all wanted to be with our families this year. And I wish I could say that this was gonna be the last time we did this, but the reality is none of us know. And all we can do, as Dr. LaFrance had mentioned, is try to find that love and hope within all of us and know that there's a vast majority of Albertans that are doing the right thing and that hopefully that'll be enough to get us through this. Um, I think it's just emphasizing the, the measures we need to take, the best quality mask you can find, keeping your bubbles small, getting vaccinated and boosted, um, remembering that throughout history, no pandemic has lasted forever, none of them. Even though it doesn't seem like it right now, we are going to have an end to this. And it's that, you know, and the spirit of the holidays and the spirit of Christmas, which we all so much want to spend with each other, is that we share that love, that hope, that sense of community, that joy, um, any way we can right now, and in modified ways, because none of us asked for this. But, you know, as a province, we're resilient. As a, as a people, we're resilient. And, and we can move through this. You know, it's, it's not what we want, but, but we can. And I think, I think that's probably what I'd want everybody to, to take home. Well, uh, if I was going to say anything, it would be to share my Christmas wish list uh, with folks. And that would be that, uh, you know, honestly, that that in the next uh, very short while that we see a strong emphasis on the fact that that COVID is airborne um, and the fact is airborne transmission uh doesn't rely on personal responsibility. It needs strong action from government. And uh, and then seeing that action in terms of, of supporting masks, ventilation, filtration, and all the pieces uh, that come with airborne. So, so that is what I'm wishing for for Christmas. And uh, I hope you all join me in wishing and asking for that too. I'm wishing for Christmas and to everybody and for the new year that we end the pandemic. And it's totally possible in 2022. That's what I think last week or two weeks ago, WHO said that we have all the, the world has all the tools to end it in 2022, but we cannot end it as individuals. We have to end it collectively, but collectively not as collective of individuals, but as collective of nations, of, of countries. So 
if we could push our governments to and tell them that we don't want to live with COVID and we want pandemic finished, maybe they will finish it. So that's what I wish to everybody that next Christmas we have big, big family Christmas. It will be possible to do it in a safe way. Thank you. There we go. Um, so, so I think that at, at the holidays, we we often think about um, equity issues and and maybe those who who are less fortunate than us. And and I think that I would just encourage policymakers to to do the same thing, whether it be with respect to uh, vaccine distribution on a, on a global level, or whether it be with respect to handing out rapid test kits only to those who can take the time and have the means to get to eight shoppers drug marts to find them. I would just encourage policymakers to, to think about those those equity issues, both at home and, and on a global level. My closing remarks um, were around the, the same sort of thought, but on the personal level as opposed to the policy level. I, we know that not all ships are equal and we know that equitability is a long way off and that lack of equitability deepens our divisions. So in, in the spirit of the season, and if you are in a position to do so, help close those gaps, whether it's giving time, giving financial resources, or if you can, giving an N95 to a neighbor. We stay safe if we stay safe together, locally, regionally, globally. As always, remember COVID-19 is airborne. Wear the best mask you have access to. Respirators make excellent stocking stuffers and vaccines really do save lives. 